So, how's everyone doing today? All right. Great. Pretty good. Right. Let's do some intros. Ben? Yeah, I'm Ben. I first met Nick Hill in New Hampshire a few months ago. Danny, Parth, and I were doing a, a quick road trip following some of the political primaries, and Nickel decided to join us. Nickel is a friend of Parth's. I originally studied at Duke, studied computer science, and now work with Danny and Parth. We're currently here in Michigan. We are just wrapping up a month here with the five of us guys, and it's been a pleasure. That was beautiful. <laughs> I actually don't know how to follow that. <laughs> My name is Nico. I uh, am traveling around the U.S. We're in Michigan right now, and uh, pretty awesome in Ferndale. I'm Danny. Me and Parth met early on in, in college, and we came across uh, our friend Ben here later on towards our uh, end of our junior year, and the three of us all started working together, started our company with the three of us, and we're in Michigan trying to Work hard, work hard on that company. Land a deal. Yeah, exactly. Land some, land some contracts. Land exactly. Make, make our company sustainable. Make it less of a VC-funded a... uh, jerk-off session. Make it into a real, real company. Yeah, maybe we'll make it a real business. Beautiful. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. <laughs> so I'm Parth. Nick Hill and I went to college together. Danny and I also went to college together. Vargas and I also went to college together. But I'm at Vargas mainly through Nick Hill. Nick Hill joined us in New Hampshire, as Ben mentioned, but. What Ben forgot to include is that Nickel didn't know we were coming to Boston, so he came to join us in New Hampshire. <laughs> ben, Danny, and I work together. We're out here in Michigan, just enjoying ourselves, having Corona. And uh, I'm Vargas. Previous in the previous episode, I was the chief vibes officer, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. Also met these three guys through Nickel, so Nickel seems to be the focal point um, <laughs> and the reason why the five of us united here in Michigan. It was a dope month. How, how did you guys think the last month was? Good vibes. It was a good time. <laughs> how did it compare to your previous travel? So you guys were like, were traveling around before this, right? Mm-hmm. It, why don't you tell us a little bit about Polymorphic and... Why you travels? But why we're in Michigan? About why we, how we got here? Yeah. Conceptually, what we started with was this idea of could we make government more responsive to citizens? So it's a pretty vague concept, and so we we figured that we would be better served by talking to people in different areas and learning about their different experiences. So we went from Iowa, New Hampshire, to Boston, to D.C., to North Carolina back to Iowa, to Michigan, to learn about that. Found ourselves in Michigan after a while from courtesy of a political consultant, Malak. And she she's kind of showed us the ropes. And we found ourselves here to basically see what we could do with cities and, and legislators here to try to help them better interact with constituents and also do a better job getting through their workflows faster. We think of government as being slow. What does it mean for government to be fast, more responsive, and efficient? The unfortunate reality was that we came here in March <laughs> with the perspective of being here for only a month. And of course, COVID gave us a whirlwind of a turn, and we've now been here for quite some time. So we're laying low in Michigan, working with a lot of different Michigan legislators and local politicians. 
riding out the wave of COVID, trying in our best efforts to help the local politicians to best connect with their constituents throughout Michigan. So you guys landed a deal recently, or a trial deal. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so we, um, we recently started our trial with uh, the city of Dearborn. And so essentially, we, for the next few months, we're going to be working closely with them in trying to make their interactions with their constituents more efficient, more modern. And so assuming everything goes well, then after these three on trial period, we'll then sign a more permanent contract, which will be a, one of the short focal points of the way our, our company works is just trying to get cities to work with us and to get them to sign contracts with us and to have this modern web 2.0, if you want to call it that, interaction between individuals and, and government so it doesn't feel so much like a slow, impenetrable bureaucratic mess and become something that's more more familiar, more more friendly to people, something they can quickly interact with, they can send messages out, get messages back quickly, and everything will just be significantly more efficient and the government that's sort of adapted to the, the modern era. And that's what we're hoping to start out with with Dearborn and convince them that this is the this is the method in which all government should be should be run. So you guys tell us your about your journey. You guys graduated last summer or following the election campaign. What was that like? Yeah, so at least for the election campaign, that was quite the whirlwind. As we like to tell a lot of people, we first started our journey in Iowa, of course, with the start of the Democratic and Republican caucuses in the state to kick off the primary season for both parties. And so we really got to experience firsthand the fervor of American politics within the state. It was the cold of winter when everything else was pretty much shut down, but Iowan politics was in full fervor. And we got to see firsthand how enthusiastic Americans can be about politics. <laughs> but more importantly, we got to see how when people take American politics seriously, how... How valuable it is, right? Yeah. So, so the caucuses are an interesting thing, right? Everyone makes fun of them, obviously, for being <laughs> potentially a not very representative way of doing things. But we got there and we didn't know how the caucus worked at all. And so then we went to this like beer caucus event, which was amazing. So instead of caucusing for political candidates, you caucus for beer as you liked. And the thing that was impressive and I think really cool about it was, potentially it's not represented, but it's just the format makes it very engaging. So there's like a lot of effort behind convincing people to join your side. And it's just a very interactive process. And I'm sure there's tons of flaws with it and, and all of that, but it's just an interesting way to look at how democracy and how interaction in the political process can look like. Because people are very engaged, people are looking to learn, and it's a point of pride, right? You're the first state in the country, and I understand people say, oh, why, why does Iowa get that right? But what's kind of cool is just if you ask the average Iowan about the caucuses, they put in so much more effort into learning about each and every candidate than say the average Californian. And I feel like you can say that because I'm from California. And that's kind of unique, I think. There's something almost historical about that. Uh, and there's stories that this might be the last caucus, and I think we, we've, we got the fortune of the Machera caucus, which is a whole interesting debacle. But <laughs> it's, just, it's just interesting to, to see how much people care there. If it's flawed, whatever. For me, it was just a sign of what it could be like. 
of people who care that much and regardless of the process I think the people were much more involved there and I would love to see that amongst more people here yeah to, to echo what Parth said to give you a picture we were each individually in different rooms where there's a whole collection of Iowans who each came in with their own political ideologies and often they each came in supporting their own candidates but at the same time they respected the overall political process so much that each person in the room took the time and effort to go around and talk to every other individual in the room and understand what perspectives everyone had what people valued why people were voting for other candidates and they realized that there were legitimate reasons for voting for each person who's running for president. And so with that understanding in mind, the room as a collective was able to generally pick one or several candidates that they felt best represented their room and at large the country based on the collective understanding that they brought. And so was, as Par said, despite some of the flaws that the caucuses brought, the, the overall ethos of the room was very positive and something that for us was very inspiring. Politics seems to be a very old age kind of participation. Mm -hmm. What is it like being 23 year olds, 24 year olds that are redefining how <laughs> communication happens within our government and between our government and their constituents? I mean, it's definitely like an exciting experience and no one's really complaining about say old people being underrepresented in politics or anything like that by for any means and it's it's definitely it's a big part of that is because of how sort of stagnant and unchanging it's been for a while it really hasn't sort of adapted to the people of our generation who very very online very technological admittedly relatively short attention spans and maybe not the most best people for being committed to pushing a cause through potentially due to their own personal things or potentially just due to the world around them moving so quick it's hard to to give the time for that kind of thing particularly when you feel like you're just a a small part of a very bureaucratic very slow moving kind of machine so i think it's it's definitely exciting and it and it feels like um we have that hopefully if we can do if we can do a good job of it it's not not easy and there's no guarantees by any means but if we can do a good job of it we can hopefully adapt politics so that it works for everyone. So that people, I mean, we don't we have no, we have no intention of making things worse for, you know, we want to continue making it so that old people feel like they're represented in politics, but particularly bringing young people into and making sure that the way they interact with politics is similar to the way they interact with the rest of their life. A very modern, very online, very technological, generally quite efficient a process. People are used to things taking only a day or two. People are used to quick response and Sometimes with politics, things have to take longer. It's sort of, there's a lot of different people whose opinions you have to compare and you have to weigh in you have, and a lot of different considerations you have to make. So admittedly, politics are probably never going to be as fast as your, you know, Amazon two-day shipping or whatever the heck. <laughs> but hopefully we can at least make it feel somewhere in that realm rather than a totally disjoint reality where everything is incredibly slow moving and almost impenetrable. To but you guys are generation. providing that, right? You guys yes. are providing yeah. the same sort exactly. of... Exactly. We, we, we're doing our best to make politics feel as much as possible, like, yeah, like ordering something on there, make, make something feel quick, feel efficient, and yeah. have as direct and tight a communication channel with people who represent you and who really generally do care about you. I mean, not always, but I'd say that, as these guys have said, the majority of politicians generally do care about you and do actually want to represent you well. It's not 
it's not some yeah they're no, not they're yeah. not out to get you for the most part they're, the vast majority <laughs> really do care about you it's just it's just not very efficient it's not very yeah. it's not very modern and it's just a, a strong disconnect in communication yeah. but yeah hopefully if we are successful it will feel about as close as we think we can ever get it to to being something in yeah quick and and satisfying and stuff like that as much as yeah as much as that is feasible mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting as gen z Um, where we've grown up as digital natives used to technology from a very young age where we are working with individuals who for the most of their lives especially as adults have not been used to technology especially within their professional realms and so that's certainly a challenge especially within government and trying to introduce modern technology to systems and operations that have traditionally run without modern technology. Mm-hmm. And so that that's certainly a, a problem we're running into in just trying to convince actors and convince systems that maybe new modern systems could potentially solve a lot of their problems that they think are just endemic to their work. But aside from those problems, that also means there are a lot of potential uh, gains to be had. Mm-hmm. And so we generally, actually have a very positive outlook on the perspective of American politics over the next decade or two because of a lot of the places we see where innovation can be had. So I know right now, especially in the months before the November elections, a lot of Americans are pretty negative in the outlook of of what American politics is, is going to look like in the coming years. But generally, we think that because of the perspective of technology and what it can apply to American government, generally we're very positive about the projection of of America. How has living and working with people that are all motivated to make this big thing happen, revolutionizes communication (laughs) within politics altogether, how has that changed the way you're working? I think one of the true realities, and I don't think it's something that people talk a lot about on starting companies, is more often than not, people don't believe in where you're going. There's a reason things don't exist. And it can be very frustrating and exhausting. Uh, you have one bad conversation with someone, and it's enough because you yourself have been questioning if this makes sense at all. Right, And if someone else questions it, you're like, oh, surely these questions must be valid now. But I think the, the, the amazing advantage of being with people who are like-minded beyond, like I think all of us have the benefit of we're, we're all friends outside of the work we do. But there, there have been many times where I'll have calls or I'll, I'll talk to clients and, and they, don't, they, don't, they don't see things the same way we do. And early on, it's, it's very tough, very disappointing to hear something like that because you're all in on this hypothesis and, and you just want people to buy in. And having people who agree, not necessarily agree with you, but just like at least see that same vision, right? Like 10 years down the road, they, they understand this is how things are gonna look. That's motivating, right? Because optimism is not different from realism, right? Those two, are, those two can be the same. Optimists and realists make reality what they want it to be. And so having people who agree with that and are helping you be there, even on your bad days, you're able to rebound faster. And I think that's amazing because you have awful days sometimes. Like you'll have people who are, will just have 
every ride in the world to tell you everything is wrong. And they're not incorrect, but you have people who see your foresight, and I think they reinforce and motivate you to, to do something. I definitely felt that. I, I feel like I was working a good amount more than I typically would just because of this goal orientation. Mm-hmm. I think you guys very much exude that. I, I wonder if that's very typical of polymorphic or is this very specific to having a deadline that was, what, three days ago? Yeah. Yeah. I guess some, some weeks definitely have those, those deadline, those kind of crunch weeks and stuff like that. But I feel like it's a lot of that exists outside of the deadlines and stuff like that. It's just, uh, yeah, you really want to see something happen and it's not going to happen unless you, <laughs> unless you do it. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to just uh, devote your, it's not necessarily your, I mean, I guess your time and your work, but also it's not even necessarily just the time and work you put in physically. It's more just sort of the amount of mental dedication you put towards the task itself that I feel like is often the most demanding and the most, the biggest part you commit is kind of just the fact that as long as you're awake, as long as you're thinking, like probably one of the main things you're thinking about is how you're going to, how you're going to make this happen, how you're going to take the next step in this process or something you really yeah. think is going to be important to the world and yeah, have a big impact. Yeah, Some, someone's told me, and I think this always kind of stuck with me, is being great is not some crazy thing. It's it, Being great is being good every day, <laughs> right? And so you might hit like a, a 90 or a 91 instead of 100, but doing that day one, day two, day 100, day 200, day 300, day 400, day 500, that's the thing that matters. Yeah. Were there any uh, stressful moments in these last... Four weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both in or out of work. <laughs> oh. You probably had a great four last weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. We onboarded two other legislators today. And, of course, with each new legislator that we bring onto the platform, especially as a very new company, there's a certain set of stress that's involved just hoping and wanting to make sure that their experience is as positive as possible. Even though that we've put in a tremendous amount of effort already to building a platform that we know will be very positive for them until we have a lot of people on the platform using and interacting with constituents, there's always a certain set of stress involved in making sure that they feel the same vision that we have for what American politics can look like. And so, yeah, there's a lot of stress involved. And, and I'm sure as you two guys have experienced many times, anytime you're working on a new company, it feels a lot like a roller coaster where any one particular conversation can either give you extreme highs or extreme lows any one event with how your product is going, any bug, any feature that you implement, any feedback that you get can set you to the top of a roller coaster or set you plummeting down. It's very volatile in the beginning of of any venture that you pursue. And so, yeah, there's definitely been stress, but overall, it's definitely worth it. So looking back at this experience of working on something in which you're catering to an audience that you have no idea about. <laughs> Would you say that's fair? Which part of the audience were you thinking of here? The the, the more the legislative part or the clients or the, the constituents? Both. 
I guess when we started out, I feel like as we've gotten with time, we've gotten a pretty good idea for how how those people operate. I mean, not not perfect, but yeah, I feel like we've gotten a better idea. But starting out, for sure, we were, we were pretty going pretty blind. Yeah, I mean, starting out, we we came from a perspective of people. Yeah, and I think we understood that, but we understood what clients thought. we had no clue. We just knew that we felt like the government wasn't very efficient. We felt like we are, our communication with it was, was deficient and slow and overly bureaucratic and involved too many letters and and so on. Not enough uh, quick communication. But yeah, we, we didn't know much about the clients for sure until until sort of a lot of the road trip stuff that we talked about. And living out with each other, you somewhat bounce off each other's skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I only have a good understanding of part. <laughs> <laughs> the inspiration he offers in <laughs> the various things he does. But how, how else do you think you guys have quickly picked off each other? Mm-hmm. Interesting question. From oh, you opinion. don't get to answer this question. Well, I was going to answer from what I, what I picked up from that. Oh, part. what they think of you. I don't know what they think of me. I have no clue. But what I can say is what I think, what I've learned from them. Um, <laughs> So I think from Dan, the thing I've learned the most is uh, questioning priors. I think we share a lot of that, but I think Dan is just like, you can't come to the table with an argument you haven't thought about, right? If you say X is true, that's not enough, right? You had to come to the table with something which is, why did you think of X? Why does that make sense? And I think that's valuable because we, we, we'll just throw around assumptions right now and just say we think things because we think things without actually valuing why we think about things. Uh, I look at things the same way, like when you write your signature, like that is who you are, right? Same way when you talk about an argument or something you feel, that th- that is your opinion, like treat it with respect and come to that with respect. And I think Dan's someone who views things that way and has motivated me to also think about things that way, which is like, if this is an argument of mine, like it should be worthy of my thought process. Like I should have thought about it so that I care about it that is like tight and, and valid and, and, and opinionated in the right ways. For Ben, I think it's a lot about discipline. Like Ben is uh, someone who, who every year will say it's about discipline, right? How, how do you build habits that matter? He was the first person who I heard from which said that you read all these books, about all these like entrepreneurs like Peter Thiel, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, do things this way. Like this is, this is garbage advice because everyone, is, everyone, everyone has their own way of doing things. But what Ben always says is like, habits matter, right? Like you might have your own philosophy of doing things and that's important because everyone's different, but habits are the way you approach things. I think Ben's very habits oriented and has made me think about things that way, which has been life changing because when you start thinking about things as habits, you start to reframe the way you do things and you become disciplined, but you also become, you develop a formula that people can replicate and that's actually underrated because Otherwise, there's no alignment as a company, right? You have four different people with four different opinions. Everyone does their own thing. Then everyone walks in different directions, and you just move no direction. But if you have habits and you have a philosophy by which we go from A to B, I think that makes the, the biggest difference of all. So Ben's kind of inspired company habits. He's always asking about how do we be better? How is everyone feeling? How is everyone thinking about things? I want to see the company values because I feel like I haven't been following the company values as much. No one asks that question, but Ben does, right? And I think that's unique. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the three of you guys are going to stay here for another few months, mm-hmm. closing a deal with 
Dearborn. Um, <laughs> and then you're going to take practice. a month off and then reconvene yeah. on the West Coast. Uh, um, something of that general nature, I guess we're all... Across. Something like that. I think we're all heading out but west after yeah. after Dearborn. Spend some time with both me and Parth have family in Southern California, so spend some time there. Then, of course, we'll be invited for the journey as much as he wants uh, to spend it with us, and then probably spend more time there and I guess settle up somewhere more permanent. Potentially California, I think, is where we're generally leaning, but still not super sure exactly where we'll set up our permanent, more permanent offices type of stuff. But we've just not we've not put away the digital nomad life as a potential oh, well, I mean we've been, we've enjoyed our time on the road <laughs> yeah. it's gonna happen again like we will have to come back here if the Senate contract oh, for sure. well but I think we've been nomading long enough where we're feeling like I, I don't know about you guys actually I'm just gonna say for me I, I find some value in um, being a local and being with people ah feel that yeah mm-hmm. Just being being with people I, now is a different time, right? Now is a crazy time where it's actually very worth traveling. But just having habits and patterns that you can form in regard with your community, I think it's well, kind of cool. Hybrids are location independent. <laughs> some some that's are true. yeah yeah. That's take true. it from Vargas. That's true. Vargas has changed his perspective on that. <laughs> he has found a one mile lap on almost every place every place true. there yeah. is there is one mile everywhere <laughs> yeah. that's definitely on the, true on the planet earth there are a lot of miles <laughs> no kidding do you think that you on average are less concerned than someone else and that your potential lack of concern might be a worry to someone else who's going to choose your platform I think we're so, more concerned than our legislators <laughs> right <laughs> In some capacities. In almost every capacity. Sure. Like, we're thinking about issues that they have no idea even exist. And are you thinking about the issues that they think are the most important? We're thinking about the issues they think are most important. And we're thinking about issues that oftentimes they haven't even considered are flaws in the current system. I'll give you an example. Everyone's emails in Wyoming or Kansas are completely public. And they have no way of verifying if you are a citizen of that place, if they were talking to someone from Wyoming and they said the only way they know is if people put their address is a P.O. box. Because in Wyoming, you don't have real addresses, you have P.O. boxes. Think about that for a second. Like, anyone could pretend they're, they're a citizen of this state and the legislator will weigh their opinion even if you don't exist there. Oh, shit, I should set up my P.O. box in Wyoming. <laughs> right, but like, yeah. you could do... <laughs> no, that, like, like, think about this. Like, I could... Okay, imagine a representative in the federal government. They'll hear from, like, max 5 to 20 people in, 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 a, in, a, in a country, in, in, a, in their rep- district, right? So let's say I set up 10 in every district, 300, 435 districts, 10 of them, P.O. boxes count, cost like maybe 100 a year, so 1,000, 435,000. With $435,000, I can pass almost any piece of legislation with constituent pressure as one person. That is like an inherent flaw that no one has discussed, that we've like discovered, so to speak, and our system is able to avoid. Think about that. Like they're not even they're not even thinking about that. Like they're still on like level one, trying to like respond to people when this is like an unknown issue. Like forget Russian bots. Like this is a complete issue, which is like you can just buy PO boxes everywhere and become a constituent with only a four hundred thirty-five thousand dollar budget. You can start passing legislation 
pretending to be 10 constituents in every district of America. Yeah, I think on, on that note, like it's it's not necessarily that the the legislators don't care like less or anything like that. It's just that yeah. sort of the scope of their work is really focused on getting that day-to-day stuff working and making sure that the constituents they contact them, that they you know assume are their constituents, that they can represent them as well as possible. So it's less that it's almost that it's not necessarily that we necessarily care more. It's just that sort of the, the prioritization that we can do is a little different from the way they are able to do it because they have to sort of focus on the stuff that's on their desk and the stuff they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And we sort of can avoid that because the exact contents of the of the stuff they're dealing with is largely not a huge... We don't necessarily have to care too much about the intricate details because that's between them and their constituent. We just need to make sure that's sort of an, like abstracted away from exact, from most of, our, most of our workflow. We just have to care about it a little bit in terms of making sure we design systems that they that know the different types of things that can happen and the general requirements. But as a whole, we don't have to spend quite as much time thinking about those things. But the advantage of that is it allows us to think about various other priorities, big picture things, such as, as part of this mentioned very thoroughly, all the various security and um, like more sy- systemic potential of abuse and making sure that things are fair and well represented. All that aspect, it gives us the chance to focus on that because while we may not we may not be as focused on the exact day to day work of these legislators, is we allow them to focus on that so that we can handle the other things and essentially sort of separate out those different priorities, and so that neither of us have to be cons- have to be as concerned with each other and can each tackle sort of a different part of this overall system that makes everything work. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, your time. This has honestly been a great <laughs> month, four weeks. Thank you all so much. I, for sure. I thought you were joking the first time when you were going to come to Michigan. <laughs> um, and I, I, I didn't know if I thought you were just rogue Vargas into this, but I think uh, I'm very excited y'all came. Mm-hmm. It's, been a, it's been really